There's something I want to talk about today, and it is going to be imperfect because we're going to talk a little bit about gender. And gender is a word that we use to describe that which we associate with terms like male and female or masculine and feminine. And so we understand that these are somewhat constructs and we're in a process in the 21st century of looking at them, analyzing them, trying them on. One of the young people this morning in the chapel said to me, well, one of the things that I'm concerned about is I really don't think they're positive role models of women so much, very, very few. Women in the Torah and the Bible, they're really just either wives or daughters or they're bringing water to somebody. So today we read the song of Devorah. And here we have, scholars say, possibly the very oldest part of the entire Bible, the song of Deborah. It's probably from the 11th to 12th century BCE. That's unbelievably early. That's pre-country. It's pre-monarchy. It's probably from the period that it is actually talking about. The leadership of Devorah, the prophetess, who unites the tribes of Israel to battle the, the local Canaanite leader of Canaanite tribes. Why is she a prophetess? Just says she's a prophetess. Why does she deserve to be the leader of Israel? There's no statement about why she deserves to be the leader. It just says that she is the leader and judge. And this will come up in my comments of where I'm going. She's a prophetess. She's a leader, respected leader. We don't need an origin story as to why. We don't need a justification for it. And number three, she says it's time to unify these disparate tribes to fight our enemy. She sends word to Barak, and she says to Barak, you're going to lead a big battle of unifying tribes against our enemy at Chazor. And he says, only if you come with me. And she says to him, if I do, I'm going to get the credit and not you. And he said, like I said, if you're not with me, I'm not going. In almost identical language to the book of Ruth. I'm only going if you go. And whither you go, I will follow. Very similar language to very important female-centered parts of the Tanakh. Although it makes sense that we're reading it at this point in the cycle because Exodus starts with women leadership. It starts with, with women being the rebellion against Pharaoh, why the men seem to be fighting among themselves. Historical person. She is called, in Judges 5, verse, verse 7, deliverance ceased, ceased in Israel till you arose, O Devorah, aim be Yisrael the mother of Israel. It's probably not the mother in Israel. The bud there is probably the mother of Israel. Richard Elliott Friedman, among some other scholars, he's a little bit farther out there, I agree with him, says that not only is the song of Deborah, not a passage around it, but the actual song, probably what was sung in Israel in ancient altar sites before we even had Jerusalem and the centralization of worship, at an altar site in the north, they would sing her song and talk about the mother of Israel unifying the tribes. We actually have the archaeology at Chazor, where we find that Chazor was leveled and destroyed from the Canaanites, because then we have a layer where it's obviously an Israelite settlement because there are no pig bones in the layers after the destruction of Chazor. And that all dates to exactly the time period of Deborah. 
We have the Moabite stone, the Mesha Stella. Mesha Stella is probably one of the two or three most famous inscriptions from that time period. And it describes the Moabite king having, Mesha, having a victory against the people of Israel. And as with these carvings on monuments, there are missing words. And Richard Elliott Freeman thinks the word mother is actually the, the, what we have like one letter there. And he thinks there's a reference on the Mesha stone to Deborah as the mother of Israel. Not her name, but we went up against the Israelites. And we went up against, and there's a chalky part, Israel, and he thinks it's the mother of Israel. So we don't have a founding father. We have a founding mother. The mother of Israel, historical. The unifier of the tribes. Prophetess, leader, goes into battle. Is she the great leader in the battle? Is Barak? Doesn't matter doesn't say, they're not interested either way. Goes in unified, defeats them, and then reigns in Israel for like 40 years, reigns as the leader. Caught my eye this week, a piece from an actress about her life as an actress in America. She has now ended up creating and starring for the last several years in a sci-fi show that I've never seen, I really should. It's called The O-something. Her name is Britt Marling. So she wrote this in the New York Times Magazine about her life. She talked about the fact that she, after college, became an investment banker, but decided that she wanted to be an actress because in the acting that she had done, I was drawn to acting because I felt it would allow me to become the whole embodied person I remembered being in childhood. By playing the different parts, I could imagine freely listen deeply, and feel wholeheartedly. She went to Hollywood and found that most of the parts that she was trying out for were horror films where she would be played, playing someone who would be murdered very quickly. Most of those parts are described as either robot person, girl in red sweater with large chest, or thin, beautiful, and Dave's wife. She decided that she was maybe going to have to write her own stuff, and she said she went to the library, took out movies, and started watching movies with strong female leads like The Big Heat and Chinatown and Thelma and Louise. And she says that she was overwhelmed by the fact that in a number of these dramatic narratives that, fe that feature strong female characters, they end up being murdered. The ob our narratives tell us that women are objects and objects are disposable, so we are always objectified and then often disposed of. There are centuries of trial and error inside the hero's journey in which a young man is called to adventure, challenged by trials, faces a climactic battle, and emerges victorious, changed, and now a hero. And while there are a few narrative patterns for the adventures of girls, Alice in Wonderland, The Wizard of Oz, those are few and far between and for adult women, even less so. So, good news. A couple of strong female lead um, stories came her way. And she embraced the new strong female lead. If you've watched these movies, Charlize Theron's, like did a movie like this. Uh, the, the woman who was in, like, was it Mockingjay and The Hunger Games, who became a huge actress, who's amazing. She just did one of these movies. They play assassins. Rather, so instead of James Bond, we get women. 
The new strong female lead is an assassin, a spy, a soldier, a superhero, sometimes a CEO. She can make a wound compress out of a maxi pad while on the run. She's got MacGyver's resourcefulness, but she looks better in a tank top. Acting the part of the strong female lead changed both who I was and what I thought I was capable of. Training to do my own stunt work made me feel formidable and respected on set. Playing scenes where I was the boss firing men tasted like empowerment, and I will always feel better to be holding a gun in a scene than to be the one pleading for your life at the other end of the barrel. But then what she discovered was that what really these stories were, were the male arc. You're called to greatness as an adolescent, you fight your way through trials to the climax, and then there is the epilogue. And the only difference is, as she says, give me a man, but in the body of a woman, I still want to see naked. And in those movies, those famous actresses who make in the tens of millions disrobed. She didn't point that out, but I do. She says, it's difficult for us to imagine femininity itself, empathy, vulnerability, listening. Now, those are her ways of understanding gender. They don't have to be yours. But she's like, I imagine the femininity, the person I wanted to inhabit in roles of women, how I wanted to express all the different parts of myself through taking roles. I, I wanted to see empathy, feel vulnerability, exhibit listening. And I want to see those as strong. And when I look at the world our stories have helped us envision and then erect, these are the very qualities that have been vanquished in favor of an overall masculinity. She says that she played that lead at the investment bank too. She wore suits, she drank bourbon, she discussed over drinks at the right moment when other people were, that she has had, had sexual conquests. And she followed the lead of the only other woman at the investment bank, the one who was her mentor, who said, this is what you have to do, you'll notice I do it, once a week, leave your office door open and shout at someone on the phone, threatening them and with obscenities. But don't have anyone on the other end of the line. <laughs> and they will respect you. How do we evolve, she says, beyond the limitations and binaries like masculine and feminine present in the first place? She said her saving grace was in 2014 when she encountered a book by Octavia Butler called Parable of the Sower, which I don't know. It's a sci-fi novel written in 1993, imagining a 2020 where society has largely collapsed from climate change and growing wealth inequality. In other words, it has nothing to do with the future that's coming. Butler's heroine is a 17-year-old named Lauren. She has a quality called hyper-empathy. She feels literally other people's pain. This gift and curse uniquely prepares her to survive the attack on her community in Los Angeles. And it allows her to unite a tribe to begin again from seeds she has saved from her family's garden. What we have feeling for, we protect. What we objectify and commodify, we eventually destroy. I don't want to be that dead girl or Dave's wife, she writes. But I don't want to be a strong female lead either if my power is defined largely by my violence and domination, by conquest and colonization. Is it the case that she asked that the archetype that makes up most movies and most Western culture is that kind of Hellenistic archetype that Joseph Campbell taught us, which is strangely mirrors 
the masculinity of an adolescent male. I feel these urgings and callings to something greater. I don't get to get it right away until I go through my trials. And then there is climax and then a short epilogue and along the way objectification. She asks, could there be a different story arc? So my answer is, Deborah, notice the difference of the story arc so much so that we're tempted to be like, wait a second, how did she become a prophetess? I need the, orig the adolescent origin story. What if that's not important to our Jewish way of talking? She's a prophetess. And what is a prophetess? According to Heschel, had the best definition ever, and you all know it. It's someone who feels what God feels. The prophet's main quality, as Heschel does in his dissertation on the prophets, is a quality of pathos in Greek. For us, empathy, feeling what is happening in the universe and putting God's words to where we need to go. She has that quality. Second step, she has wisdom. She's a leader without bragging on the phone about hurting people, without bragging about her sexual conquests. There's no objectification. She's wise. People listen to her. How, what does she do with those two qualities? She unites our people. And I'm not talking about a story. I'm talking about real life. This really happened. She united our people into one group. Oh, but then she went to war like the great strong female lead assassin, right? And it was like Game of Thrones with her sword. No. She had a military victory, her and Barack. Who cares about who takes the credit? And then, great, the climaxes happen. Short epilogue, did she marry Barack? No, she already had a husband. Oh, that's sad. No. <laughs> Sorry. For 40 years, she ruled. Right? No, not an epilogue. For 40 years, she ruled. You notice there's no real climax in the Torah or epilogue. The Torah ends before we get to the promised land. The promised land is not the climax. You know what the real story is? The Jewish pattern of the movie? 40 years of figuring this all out. 40 years of trying to make ourselves better and trying to make ourselves wise as we wander in the wilderness and try to make ourselves better and figure out how to live and make a society that's worth living. And maybe that is the pattern. That's the narrative that Judaism and the historical song of Deborah sung as our original liturgy in the altar sites of the North is offering us as a modern resource.